Wow. That's a, that's a powerful testimony from Nepal, amen? Yeah, and so, wow, the rain. And, and they testified that a lot of people, that there were people who actually, they testified that they physically felt rain on them during, the, uh, during that ministry time. So it wasn't just, uh, I mean, I know we're talking spiritually that the rain fell, but there were also people who actually felt a tangible um, representation of, of the rain on their bodies, feeling the rain fall. Man, God is good. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray real quick. I'm going to just pray for the offering and pray for the word. Uh, so let's all bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. Your presence, Lord, is better than life. And Father, we come to you today, not just to receive, but to give. And Father, we lay our lives down. We lay um, our, our offering, God, our tithes and offerings before you, Lord, because, uh, God, you're worthy of it. So, Father, we pray your blessing over this service. We pray your blessing over today, um, over the word as it's preached, God, that you would manifest yourself, God, in the same way that you did in Nepal. God, would you manifest yourself here in Itaewon? And yeah, Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we cut that heater off? It's like mad hot up here. Like, I feel like I'm like back in thailand uh, we we can keep is that one on okay well if it gets cold just cut that that back one on man those testimonies like even watching those videos got me like stirred up you know by stirred up i mean excited like i just saw it and i was like man i want to just start praying for people right now like i want to just get on a plane and go to nepal like you know and just see god move but, you know, God doesn't just want to move in Nepal. His presence is not just something that we are to experience on a missions trip. His presence is something that we are to experience every day of our lives. And what I want you to get today is that God's presence is absolutely essential. You need God's presence. You need it. All the time. You don't just need it on a Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. I saw a lot of you guys came on time. Appreciate it. You don't just need it on a Sunday. You don't just need it at a prayer meeting. You need the presence of God all the time in your life. The presence of God is the one distincting, distinctive factor. It's the one thing that would distinguish us from anyone else. It's not the way you look. It's not the way you speak. It's not what you do that distinguishes you from other people. It's the presence of God. Today, I want to talk to you about the presence. Everyone say the presence. presence. Tell your neighbor right now, say, you need the presence. You, need the presence. you don't Like you got to say it with some attitude, with some confidence. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him one more time. Say, you need the presence. Point at them. Be rude. Be rude up in here. I give you liberty to point. My mom told me when I, yeah, yeah, one person pointed at me, thank you. I need the presence. My mom told me when I was little, like every time I point, she just like smacked my hand. Like she judo chopped my finger, you know? Don't be pointing, that's rude. I give you liberty to be rude in here and point. You need the presence of God. We all need the presence of God. 
you know, it's so easy to, you know, get used to church, get used to coming out, get used to worship, get used to prayer, used to reading your Bible, even get used to spending time with God. But you can never get used to the presence because God's presence, it says that the angels, it says that the four living creatures, they have eyes front and back and all over and they look at God. And every single time they look at him and they get a new glimpse of God, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Every single time that 24 elders get a glimpse of God, they take their crown and they cast it down. They put it back on. They look again. They cast it down again. Every single time you get a glimpse of his presence, it is transformational. So we need the presence. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. You know, sometimes God will, God will give you a word. And he'll give it to you multiple times. And he'll speak it to you through many different people. And the first time you hear it, you're like, that's good. I have no idea what that means, God. The second time, yeah, okay, all right. I get, you're telling me the same thing over and over. Once you get to the third and fourth time, then you're like, all right, God, I'm listening. God's been speaking to me from this chapter like three, four, 78 times. Because he just keeps saying to me, Marcus, you've got to yearn for my presence. Marcus, you've got to seek my presence. Marcus, my people, what they need, what they need more than anything else is my presence. Last night, I somehow, I guess I got distracted. I don't know what happened. I ended up watching these documentaries. I was watching this, watching this documentary about the jail, the prison system in Miami, Florida. <laughs> I don't know how I ended up watching that. Pastor John, we used to live together. So he knows like there are times where I'll just watch random documentaries. So I just, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I just opened up my computer and I was learning about the prison system in Miami because that's relevant to my life. <laughs> and it's not. That's why I said that. Some people like didn't understand sarcasm. They're like, what? (laughs) Pastor Marcus, right? So I'm watching this and I'm watching them. This guy, he goes through this prison and he goes through and he just starts interviewing guys. He starts interviewing all these people who are in bondage, who are in chains, who are there for life, who are there for long periods of time, many of whom have the death penalty. And he starts asking them and he says, you know, what's your, where did you grow up? And one guy's like, you know, well, I grew up in the hood. I grew up on the streets. He's like, okay. It's like, he's like this really nice. Well, he's like, all right, that's cool. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. He's like, oh, that sounds awesome. (laughs) And then he's like, how's your family? And every single guy that he talked to said that his father was missing, that his father's presence was missing. You know, statistics say that most, if not almost all of the people that you find in prison today come from broken homes, most of whom where their father is missing. The father's presence is so important. 
in my life, my father was missing. I didn't meet my father until I was 13. He stayed around for two more years and then he was gone. I haven't seen him since. But there was a void not having my father's presence. And you know, if you don't have the father's presence, you will all, you'll end up in chains. Whether it's in your mind, your heart, or literally in your life. We need the presence. I know I'm talking about real life, real fathers, but it doesn't just apply to them. It applies to God. You go to churches where they don't have the presence and the church doesn't feel like a house of God. It feels like a prison. Everyone's looking to the right, to the left. Am I going to do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Is somebody going to tell on me? I'm so sorry, God, for what I did. The church isn't filled with freedom. It's filled with bondage. It's a prison. We need the Father's presence. Let's look here in Exodus chapter 33. So this chapter, it starts off, it's, it's not the beginning, it's in the middle, you know. And before this time, the, the Israelites, they've already been led. Moses has led them out of Egypt, right? We all know the story. And they're in this little small plot of land trying to go into the promised land. They've been brought out of Egypt. They've crossed over the, the Red Sea. They've crossed over, they've crossed over and they're on their way into the promised land. And throughout this time, Moses would go up on the mountain and he would meet with God. And these would be powerful times of revelation, powerful times where Moses would encounter God. And in chapter 32, we find that Moses went up to encounter God and he was there for a long time. Like it says that the people actually got restless because Moses delayed. You know, they thought Moses was only going to come back, you know, Maybe he'll come back in a week and now it's like 40 days. And I'm like, where's Moses at? Where is he going? You ever like in your quiet time, you're like, God, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. And it ends up being like three hours. You know, that happened to me last night. Like last night I was like, okay, God, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray for, but I'm going to spend like an hour with you. And then I'm going to see the Jeremy Lin highlights. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just being real with you right now because, you know, Jeremy Lin, like he's doing really well, apparently. So it's like, I'm going to watch the highlights after my prayer time, though. I'm keep it holy after prayer. I start out, it was light outside. I look at my clock. It's like 12 o'clock at night. I'm like, what happened? He's like, I went to bed, you know, and they, they, Moses went up and he went and he was spending time with God, but it became delayed. And so the people, they took the gold and the silver, the plunder that they had gotten from Egypt. And what did they do with it? They made themselves a golden calf. I don't understand that, but they made themselves a golden calf, right? And then God finds out that they made this golden calf. And what does he say to Moses? He's like, he just gets mad. Like God is just like pissed. He's like, I am going to kill them. They made a calf, Moses. And Moses is like, God, don't kill them. Come on. You remember, what will people say if you kill them? He's like, all right, all right, Moses, that's good. <sighs> Sometimes, Moses, I just get like a little, you know, because they made a calf. And, and so they, I'm getting somewhere. Just follow me. 
they make this, they make this calf and God's, he gets angry with them, right? I'm going to kill them. But then Moses talks to him a bit. They talk it out because that's the kind of relationship that they had. And then God says, all right, I won't, I won't. And then we find ourselves getting to chapter 33. And in chapter 33, uh, we're just going to read together. We're going to read from verses one to 17. And we're going to just, we're going to alternate. And I'm going to explain to you what happens and, and what this all has to do with the presence. Um, I'm going to read verse one. You read verse two. We'll keep alternating and we'll read the last verse together. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And the last verse all together. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Amen. So like I, I explained to you what happened in verse 32 in chapter 32, right? The people have rebelled against God and God's wanting to smite them. And Moses, they talk, they talk about it a bit and God, you know, he's, He's love. He's long in, in mercy, right? And his steadfastness. And and then after all this happens, verse 30, chapter 33 comes along. And what does God say to Moses? He says, Moses, 
Here's what I'm going to do. I want you and your people to get up, grab all your things, and I'm going to set aside an angel to lead you into the promised land. You know, many times, many of us in the body of Christ, we have the wrong view of God, especially in terms of our destiny. We think that if I do the right thing, if I do the wrong thing, if I, if I do the wrong thing, God's going to definitely not take me into my destiny. But if I do the right thing, then God's going to take me there. But they had just rebelled against God. And God says, you know what? All right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to fulfill all the promises that I made to you and all your ancestors. Like, does that make any sense to us, right? You know, God, God's going to fulfill the purpose and plan that he's put into your life. You know, what God has made you for, you cannot stop. You think you can. You think if I do this right, if I don't do this right. But really, what God has and the plan that God has made, no man can stop. You know, God had a plan and purpose to bring his people into the promised land. And he was going to bring them there no matter what they did. But then all of a sudden he says, he throws in this little caveat, this little thing. And he says, but my presence will not go with you. You know, if God came to you today and said, you know what? I'm going to give you everything you've ever asked for. I'm going to give you every promise that you've ever wanted. I'm going to give you everything that you've ever prayed for, that you've ever desired on your heart. I'm going to give it to you, but I won't be in it. Most of us would be like, yes, thank you, God. You know, so many people, so many people, we, we come before God and what really what we're seeking is not his presence but what he can produce for us. But you know, God's presence is greater than even his promises. Just because God fulfills his promises in your life doesn't mean you have his presence. You know, I was praying last night and when I was praying, like I said, it's, it, it started out supposed to be like an hour and it ended up being like four. And then all of a sudden I'm praying and then the Lord broke me. And he was like, Marcus, you know what? If I never blessed you, but you had my presence, would that be enough? If I never provided for your needs in the things that you are constantly asking me for, yet you had my presence. Would that be enough? You know, what, what God was actually asking Moses, what he was actually saying to Moses was more like a test. You know what, Moses, I'll lead you into the promised land, but you won't have me. He was saying, is my love, is my presence greater to you than my promises? Do you desire my promise or my presence? You know, in... In 1 Samuel, there's this woman named Hannah. And she has this promise, you know, for a child. He says, wait, is not my love better than ten sons? Is not God's presence? You know, I, 
I talk to people and they get, you know, they get all, we get all depressed and disappointed because God hasn't answered our prayer when we want him to pray it. God, when are you going to send me a wife? When are you going to send me a husband? God, when are you going to fill up my bank account? You said you were going to, I tithe, I give, I give my offering. You said you were going to bless me, God. Where's my blessing? God, you said you were going to do all these things, God. But God, God looks at you and he says, well, is not my love, is not my presence greater than all those things? What do you desire more, my presence or my promises? You know, it's a terrible thing for your promise and for your destiny to be realized, yet God not to be in it. My biggest fear is for me to reach what God has purposed me for and then to stand there and it be a product of my own doing and not God's. See, God says, my presence will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. That word stiff-necked meant being stubborn. Rebellious. See, many times we forfeit the presence of God because we would rather use our own way. We would rather use our own method. We would rather do our own thing. And God says, okay, that's fine. You can have it, but you won't have my presence. You know, I think about Pastor John Michael in Nepal. And he, when he shares that testimony about the rain, he talked about how it was like such a huge struggle for him in that moment. Because he's like, and everyone's like, and this lasts for 45 minutes. And he could have at any moment just said, all right, we're going to switch back to what I know how to do. We're going to switch back to the methods that I know work. How many of us, we, we shift to the methods that we know will work when we haven't seen God move the way we want him to. But, you know, the distance between God's promise and the promised land. That's God preparing you and stretching you for his presence. That's God preparing you that you may carry his presence. You hear what I'm saying, church? So he says this to them. And then they begin to describe. They begin to describe what how Moses used to meet with God. It says that Moses, the first point I said, like, you need to understand that without God's presence. The promises mean nothing. That you have to desire his promises above anything else. That's the first thing I want you to get. The second thing I want you to get is that you got to strive to enter into his presence. You got to desire. You got to hunger for it. You got to want it more than silver and gold. You got to want it more than anything else. It says that Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it said that anyone who wanted to seek after God, anyone who wanted to meet with the Lord, they had to leave their tent and go outside the camp to the tent of meeting. You know, many times in the body of Christ, we think that God's just going to come to us. This is my box. This is my comfort place. This is where I feel comfortable. Now, God, you come to me. God, this is how I'm used to having church. This is how I'm used to experiencing you, God. So you come to me. But we don't see that in the Bible. 
In fact, we see that Moses put the tent outside of the camp. So that if you were going to experience God's presence, you had to actually leave where you felt most comfortable. You had to step outside of the place where you had felt like, I really like this. This is my home right here. I'm chilling. And you had to go outside of your comfort zone and go to where God was. You know, you got to, Jesus said it like this. He said, new wine can't be poured into old wineskins. Many times we have an old wineskin mentality, yet we're asking God for new wine. God, I want your presence. God, I want to experience you more. But God, it's got to be within the framework and structure that I'm used to. But Moses put the tent outside of the camp. And see, the funny thing is, is when Moses put the tent outside of the camp and Moses left and he went outside of the camp and he went to the tent. And he began to experience the presence of God. It says that everyone else would come outside of their tent. And then when they would see that man meeting with God, they would arise and they would worship. You know, we we want God to come into our lives and then bring transformation to everyone else around us. But God says in order for everyone else around you to arise and worship, you have to go outside of your camp and go to where I am. You know, when you leave where you're most comfortable to go encounter God, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone else around you. You're like, well, my workplace, no one, everyone in my workplace, they're not Christian. They hate God. I talk about going to church and everyone's like, psh, psh. like, why don't you, why don't you come out with us? Or I feel like no transformations happening in my family. God, when are you going to come and break through into my family? When are you going to come and touch me? But God says, when are you going to leave where you're comfortable and pursue after me? When are you going to hunger for my presence? When are you going to say, you know what, God, aside from you touching me in a place where I'm comfortable. God, I'm going to come to where you are. It says that when Moses left the camp and he went outside, it says, and he drew near to God, the presence of God came. And then everyone else began to peer outside of their tent. And they looked and they saw that Moses was meeting with God. And then it says that they rose up and they began to worship God as well. You know, the moment that you begin to hunger and thirst for more of God's presence and you begin to experience more of God's presence, everyone else around you that you've been hungering and thirsting to experience God, they will. They'll begin to worship. They'll begin to praise. They'll begin to want more and more of God. We think, well, if I I just share to them my testimony, if I just told them what's happened in my life, then they'll change. But there's so many times where I share my testimony and they're like, that's a good story. Because testimonies are the spirit of prophecy. But prophecy is just what will happen. But when you come with the presence of God, it brings forth an activation. It brings forth the transformation that your testimony was speaking towards. You understand what I'm talking about? See, Moses, he he went outside of the camp and it brought worship to everyone. 
And that's what's got to happen in our hearts. And the last thing I want you to know today is that the presence more than anything else is what you need. I'm going to read. I'm just going to read one verse. He, two, three verses I'm going to read right now. He says, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us? Other translations say, is it not in your presence going with us? That we are distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. You know what makes you different? Like I said earlier, is the presence of God. You know, we're talking about, it's like, you know, Jeremy Lin, right? We, I talked about Jeremy Lin. He's like all over Facebook. But all of us know who probably who Tim Tebow is, right? He's like this football player. Like, he, he doesn't necessarily play the right way. If you don't know what football is, just Wikipedia it. Um, and he do, he's like a quarterback, which means like he throws the ball, everything. And he's a Christian. And so every time he, he wins a game or every time something happens, he always gets on the mic and he's always talking about God. He's always talking about Jesus. And when I watched that, you know, I used to freak out about Tim Tebow. I was like, wow, you know, Tim Tebow, like he's, he's Christian, but he plays well too. Like as if playing well and being a Christian can't like come together. <laughs> but you know what? God told me, you know what, Marcus, there were other, there were other Christian quarterbacks before Tim Tebow. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, well, why haven't I heard about them? And then, I, and then I recognize, you know what? It's because Tim Tebow's filled with the spirit. You know, Pastor John Michael, didn't you say you got a chance to meet Tim Tebow's mentor? And I was talking to Pastor John Michael, and he was telling me about Tim Tebow's mentor. And he was telling me that this man is a spirit-filled Christian. He's someone who walks in the presence of God. You know, this guy, Jeremy Lynn, there were other Christian basketball players. There were other Asian basketball players. Yao Ming. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Every article I read, it's like, there's, he's the new Asian sensation. I'm like, well, there were other Asian basketball players. And there were other Christian basketball players. What is it that distinguishes this guy? It's not because he plays basketball well. It's because he carries the presence of God. You know, there are other Christians in your workplace. There are other Christians that you walk by all the time, but they look just like the person next to them. And even though this person has professed Jesus, the person next to him doesn't know Christ, yet they look exactly the same. Many of us, when we walk out from this place, you know, if I met you on the street, would I have known you were a Christian? If I'd have met you on the street, would I have known that you had the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Would I have known that you were different and distinct? See, Moses said, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, no one's going to recognize the difference. We're just going to be another tribe of people who have went into this land. And there's going to be nothing different about us. 
God, we need your presence. It's the only thing that makes us different. See, it's, it's not like, you know, so many Koreans in Korea, so many people dress differently in the hopes that it'll make them stand out. I was walking down the street. I saw a guy wearing cheetah patterned skinny jeans. I'm sorry for giving you that mental image. And, you know, and I see like when I walk down the street, I see all these different people wearing all these different flashy types of clothing, right? Or dressing all certain types of way. But then when I stop, I realize that they look all the same. You're wearing cheetah pants. That person's wearing like zebra. You know, there's nothing that's distinguishing them. When you walk down the street, what's distinguishing you from the person next to you? Oh, I'm nice. I'm different. I'm black. You know, I, I totally thought that. Like when I, came, when I came to Korea, and yes, I recognized that being black would make me stand out a bit. But after a while, people stopped staring. After a while, people weren't like, <gasps> black guy. Not saying like in a racist way, just they weren't like black guy, you know. And I recognized that it wasn't the way I looked that made me distinct. You know what? I'll, I'll talk and have a conversation with someone. And I'm like, are you Christian? And they're like, yeah, I'm Christian. You go to a church. Uh, uh, how's your relationship with God? Oh, it's good. Oh, uh, you're a Christian, but you seem just like everyone else. Maybe being a Christian, if everyone, if everyone professes being a Christian, that makes you professing being a Christian not any different. It's like the Incredibles, you know. If everyone is super, then no one will be. If everyone's a superhero, then no one's a superhero. That's what it says in the Incredibles. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, mmm. Hold on to that one for later. What distinguishes you is his presence. And you've got to want his presence. You've got to desire his presence. Not, I'm going to do whatever I can do to make myself different. God, maybe you'll reach that destiny that you have in your heart. But if God's not in it, it'll just look like the other person who's a CEO. It'll look like the other person who's made it in the music industry. We need his presence. I want us to go into a time of prayer. I'm tired of talking about his presence. Or pray for his presence to come.